0: word, but it sounds a little harder than it really is, and that word is consecration. And I know that's a big word. We don't use it very often. Um, nobody went out this today and used that some on a daily basis or anything of that nature. But actually, though, just the word means to set apart, to set apart, um, having been made or declared sacred. And where me and you understand this from and where we kind of get a grasp of it. Um, uh, for instance, today, uh, uh, we had, after the 8.30 service, we came back into the um, uh, to, to the kitchen here and got us a cup of coffee. And a, uh, I didn't even eat the biscuit on the sausage. I just ate the sausage. Go ahead and say I'm amazing. I, I appreciate that. You know what I'm saying? Um, but... Uh, but I still had a cup of coffee in my hand and I forgot my notes on the pulpit at the 8.30 service. So I walked back across the um, church and I went into the sanctuary, but I had a cup of coffee in my hand and I stopped myself at the door. And I backed up and put the coffee um, on the window because I almost walked in the sanctuary with a cup of coffee. And a couple of you all know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I have been raised... um, my whole entire life in the southern baptist uh faith uh, my dad is a pastor my, my papa's a pastor there's this that's, that's how it has been and um i've always been taught you can't have anything to drink in the church in the sanctuary um, i mean it got changed and we got a little bit of water nowadays because i can't hardly talk but without the water but i just feel bad taking in that coffee or any other drink or, or food in the into the sanctuary why because in 1957, um, a group of people that I love, that I don't even know, um, consecrated that building, to set that building aside to be used for the worshiping of the Lord to his glory. And, and in. In my heart, we've been trained and we've been taught that that's a sanctuary. You can do flip-flops about anywhere you want to do flip-flops. Just don't do flip-flops in the sanctuary. Um, you can clip your fingernails about anywhere you want to clip your fingernails. Just don't clip your fingernails in the sanctuary. Amen. Um, you say that's not happened. You ask the cleaning people. We they find fingernail clip fingernail clippings everywhere in the church. I'm like, you know what? When you're clipping your fingernails at church, you're you're really something. You know, that's you you got some big fingernails at that point in your life. Um, but I've been taught that's not what you're allowed to do that's that's the sanctuary and we have got a hold of that for some reason in 2010 when we consecrated this building because we eat in here and because we drink in here because we play basketball and cheer and 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 um, do stuff like that. We have a more opening feeling in here that you can do that in here because it's a multi functioning building but still yet when we walk in the sanctuary we go right back to that same feeling. Why? It's a feeling of consecration. That building, that room was set aside in 1957 for that purpose not a multi functioning purpose just that one purpose. So, But it's easy for me and you to grab hold of that. It's hard for me to let go of that. Um, and that's, that's the thought that I have. But listen, we should be thinking today that God, um, at the moment that he raised Jesus Christ from the dead, and he rent the, 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 the curtain from the top to bottom in the Holy of Holies, he opened up the Holy of Holies so that now all who believe in Jesus, Jesus, Jesus Christ could enter into that place of the Holy of Holies. And what's happening now is this we are not so much concerned about consecrating setting aside brick and mortar buildings to be used by the lord which we do still use these for the glory of god but me and you struggle with the fact that our bodies are to be set apart for the glory of god it is ourselves that we should set apart to be used um, for the glory of the Lord, our own personal bodies. It's easy for us to get a hold of a building being set up apart, but what about your own personal life? Your heart, your daily walk is to be set apart to be used uh, uh, exclusively for God and his glory. Why? 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 says this: But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, listen, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Consecration, setting your body apart for the glory of God starts right here in your heart. It starts right here in my heart. And consecration means that we are set apart, clean, and fully dedicated to the Lord. In Genesis chapter um, 28 that we did uh, that Tim taught two weeks ago he taught about Jacob's first encounter with God remember when the ladder came down and and he had that encounter of how amazing God is in his life he laid on the the pillar of of stone at that time and we see that was his first encounter with Almighty God and then last week we we went through um, Genesis chapter um, 32 after he encountered God at Bethel he then we see that he wrestles with the Lord um, there and has a new walk in his life we have a young lady in our church who's a who's a nurse and she said this week uh, one of the first patients came in on Monday of last week and she said man man the sciatica is killing me and uh, Jennifer looked at her and said well you know what the preacher said this Sunday and she said what well you must have been wrestling with the Lord this weekend that's why you're in that shape and her husband was a preacher, and he cackled. <laughs> He's like, yeah, that's right. Um, so, um, you know, what happens sometimes, when, all the time, when you wrestle with the Lord, when you're in that um, thing with the Lord trying to figure out who's boss and who's going to lead and who's going to do this, what happens when you wrestle with the Lord, you walk away different than you ever were before. And what happened with, with Jacob, he walked away with a limp after that and everybody was able to know that Jacob had been with the Lord. His life was completely different after that, and that's what happens to us. Now we're gonna find ourselves in Genesis 35, and then Jacob is still struggling. He experienced God, he wrestled with God, but God is still working On on Jacob, and I love that today that we kind of forget that sometimes it's not just going to Lord's not going to come in and just settle all that forever. But me and you, we struggle constantly. But God is still working in us. Bible says in Philippians chapter one verse six, being confident in this very thing, he that begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God's not done working on you. You've experienced God. You've wrestled with God. But God still. Making you into who he wants you to be today. And that's one of the reasons why we're at church today, because God's still working on us. Amen. Hey, we still got more to learn. We got more to, to refine in our lives today. So Jacob today is going to be given a new start, a reminder of the blessings that he had. So the first thing I want to show you today is this that God, in verse 1, we're just going to skip down to verse 1, God said to Jacob, he's going to speak to Jacob today, and in in Genesis chapter 35, in verse 1, it said, Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. The very first thing I want you to notice in verse 1 is this. Go, arise. We see here today, he said, get up and go to Bethel. Bethel is where Jacob first encountered God. Bethel means the house of God. It's the place of faith, the place where his new life began in God. It's a a place where he can go back to and remember what the Lord has done in his life. I hope you have that place. Um, I, I was saved as a nine-year-old boy in Meads Branch, Kentucky at Emanuel Baptist Church. Uh, a gentleman led me th- to, the, to the Lord there, and I got baptized in the Leviza Fork of the Big Sandy River. And every time when I go to Paintsville or come back from Paintsville, when I go in that little curve with Happy Mart on the right and used to be Doc's Pizza on the left, I can remember at that moment, right here is the place that I met Jesus. Right right here is the place that I got baptized, and I decided to follow my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope you have a Bethel that you can go back to and say, you know what, right here is as Many of you, it's just church right here. I have many of you told me I was sitting right in that chair, right in that pew when Jesus um, saved me. And that baptistry is where, where I got baptized. And I say praise the Lord because every time you see that, you get to go back to Bethel and remember what the Lord's done for you. Remember how he has changed your life. And today I want to share something with you. If you don't have that place, amen, I got good news for you. This is it. Amen. Today is a day of salvation. Stop unbelieving and start believing in Jesus. And you know what? This is your Bethel that you can come back. This is where I heard about Jesus. This is where I, where I decided to say yes to Jesus Christ in, in my life today. So God said, go back, um, get up, go to Bethel. And he said, go and dwell there. Dwell. And I know that you use that word all the time. Um, Honey, where do you dwell? You know, or maybe if you all are a little bit more proper, you say, well, I abide at 211 Spring Meadows Drive. We don't use uh, dwell and abide and settle like we used to anymore. But where do you live? And he's told him to go and dwell, uh, spend some time, live, settle, In that Bethel, in that place where you first met the Lord. The Bible says in John chapter 15 in verse 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Let me share something with you. This is so very important in the fact that you cannot consecrate yourself. You cannot set yourself aside to be holy for the Lord if the dwelling of the Holy Spirit is not in you. If Jesus is not in your heart, if you have not been saved gloriously and been dwelt with by God's Spirit, of the Holy Spirit, you do not have the ability to live a righteous life. Because you don't know Jesus. You don't been saved. You don't have that power that's within you. But what happens when the Lord Jesus Christ abides in you and you abide in him? He gives you that ability to be set apart, to be used for the glory of God. We have the opportunity today to be consecrated and be holy and to be used by God because the Holy Spirit of Christ, of God, lives within us. Amen? That's the blessing that, that we have. But then God said to Jacob, he says to go build, he wants him to build an, the altar, an altar. Why in the world would God want Jacob to build an altar? And the answer simply is this, to worship the Lord. The reason Jacob and the reason I and you were created is that we could worship the Lord God Almighty, that we could bring honor to his holy, holy name. That's why we are so many of us are struggling today because we're doing everything but that which we were created to do. You know what we got to do so far today in the last 30 minutes? We got to worship the Lord. You know what that means? We got to do that which we were called to do, that we were created to do, to sing glory to his holy name. But we only get to do that a couple hours a week, maybe three hours a week. And you know what? Exactly. Man, that's what's wrong with us. But what happens is we should worship the Lord how often? All the time. Because guess what? People don't know this, but, and if we said it, a lot of people wouldn't want to go to heaven because most people feel like it when they go to heaven, they're going to play football all day and basketball or, or and go hunting or something like that, um, whatever it may be. And you know what we get to do in heaven all day long? We get to worship the Lord. And you know what the problem with that is? A bunch of us struggle doing it an hour a week. So now you're telling me I'm going to go to heaven and that's all I'm going to get to do? Yeah. You know what the difference is? We won't have any sin that's going to hold us back to keep us from worshiping the Lord. We won't have any more idols that we're worshiping. and We'll only have Jesus that we'll be worshiping. We won't have to waste time on things that mean are meaningless, but what we can do is use every moment for the glory of 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 god but what we see here he said we want him to go build a altar to worship the lord so what did jacob do that's exactly what he did what the lord told him to do he went and built an altar look at me in verses two three and four as as we read and see what happened for jacob and jacob said to his household and all who were with him put away the foreign gods that are among you purify yourself and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the tree of Terabith which was by Shechem. So we see here what did the Lord tell him to do? Go build an altar. What did he do? He went and built an altar. But listen to what he did. He told his family what he should have told his family a long time ago. Jacob could have done what he was happening now. He could have done this when he first encountered the Lord. But what happened was he encountered the Lord but his family Their homes were filled with idols. Their homes were filled with filth and dirt and nastiness. So what he had to do was this. He had to tell his family something he should have told his family a long time ago. Men, I just want to share this with you right now. Every single one of us can look back and say, Man, I wish I would have given my life to the Lord a long time ago. Because look what happened here and look what happened here. But you know what? There's never a better time than right now. It would have been a lot easier and a lot smoother and a lot gentler if I would have done it 10 years ago. But you know what? Today is the day. And he goes to his family and he tells his family what they're going to do. And you know what? This is hard because the family's already established. They're already in the middle of all of it. They already have the idols. They're already filthy. They're already doing what they want to do. So he goes to the family and he tells them to get rid of the idols, to get rid of the foreign gods that they are worshiping. And you know what? We have things in our life today that we put before the Lord. I'd name them, but you'd get upset at me, amen? I, I, I could start naming them, but I wouldn't name mine. I'd name yours. You know what I'm saying? That's, that's just kind of person I am. You know what I'm saying? Um, but that's what we do is we worry about someone else's idols and kind of look over our own personal idols in that. But we see here in 1 John 5, 21, says, Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's what he says. You know, what is an idol? Anything that keeps you from the Lord. Anything that keeps you from worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He said the very first thing, family, what we're going to do is we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to get rid of all these idols. Man, that must have been tough because they had them. They got rid of their earrings their, their, that were idols. They had the little gods on them, the foreign gods. They got all that jewelry they had. They got rid of all that stuff. But then he looks at them and says this, after we got rid of all those idols, we're going to clean up. If you go through Israel, even today, if it wasn't in the middle of the war, but even in the middle of the war right now, at every place of the pray, at the wall where you can go pray or any kind of a temple, there will always be a basin of water outside of that. And what they want you to do is they've got a little silver cup and they take that running water and you pour over your hands seven times and that cleans your hands. You know what he said? To be able to get right with the Lord, we want to get rid of these idols and then we need to clean our hands. We need to clean our up. We need to get rid of this filth that we live in. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 1 says this Therefore having these promises beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Church, to be consecrated, we get rid of our idols, but also we need cleanse from all unrighteousness. We need to wash it up. We need to get rid of that filth that we have. And when we get rid of that filth that we're in, then he tells his family, then we're going to put on some new clothes. We're going to get some new clothes and we're going to put on the new garments. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22 that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt and according to the deceitful lust. What happens if you're filthy, nasty, and you go down there, go down to Walmart and buy you a brand new pair of jeans and a t-shirt and put it on they're going to be just as filthy as you are but what he said is we're gonna put away these foreign gods we're gonna clean up and then we're gonna put us some new clothes on what's he saying family we're gonna set ourselves ourself aside for the glory of God we're gonna be consecrated unto the Lord as a family for me and my house we are going to serve the Lord let me stop there just for a second men and tell you that's where we're at today as men, as as men of the family, as spiritual leaders, we need to get up and say, you know what, I wish I'd have done this a long time ago. I know that it's kind of late right now, but let me tell you, we're going to get rid of them foreign gods. We're going to get rid of those idols that keep us from worshiping the Lord. We're going to get rid of those things. We're going to wash up. We're going to have our sins forgiven. We're going to go fall on the face in front of Jesus and beg for forgiveness and have him cleanse us from all unrighteousness and wipe us as white as snow. Hey, then we're going to put on those new clothes that was given to us through the birth of our new birth and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and we're going to be set aside for the glory of God. So he's deciding, Jacob, at this time, that God's working on him. He encountered the Lord. He wrestled with the Lord. Now he's deciding in his heart, you know what? I'm thankful that I encountered the Lord. I'm thankful that day he saved me. I'm thankful that I wrestled with him and I made some decisions. And today is that decision I'm going to make that I'm going to say, yes, Lord, yes. I'm going to follow you every step of the way. And what happens when you follow the Lord is that he protects you. Esau had a problem that me and you have, afraid of so many things. Jacob was afraid of Esau. Esau was afraid of losing something. Everybody has a fear of something. But not only because Jacob had such a huge fear of Esau killing him, Jacob was afraid of everybody else too. He became paranoid, and he thought everybody was trying to kill him. Everybody was trying to hurt him. Everybody was trying to steal things from him. If you flip back in just one, one page to, to Genesis chapter, um, excuse me, in Genesis chapter 34 and verse 30, the Bible says, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, who are they? His boys. You have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land. Have any of y'all had that discussion with your children before? <laughs> you know what? You have made me obnoxious in front of the whole neighborhood. People hate me just because of you. You know what I'm saying? And that's what he's saying. He, he's like, everybody hates me because of you all. Uh, among the Can- the Canaanites hate him, the Perizzites the Reserites hate him, And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me, and I shall be destroyed, my household and I. You know, guys, you're, you all got me in a mess. Esau's trying to kill him. Now his kids got everybody trying to kill him. You know what? He was scared of everything. The Bible tells us that the Lord God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of Esau. You don't have to be afraid of the the ones who inhabit the land. You don't have to be afraid of that because God's not giving you that spirit of fear, but he is here to protect us. Verse 5 says this in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 5, And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. God intervened in Jacob's life and he put a terror in those people that were going to kill him where they was too scared to touch him. And they couldn't even put a finger on why they were too afraid to touch him. But the God above, the Almighty God, put a terror in them that they would not even get close to Jacob and his sons. God protects us every single day. But not only does God protect us, but God keeps his promises. You know something me and you struggle with every day is trying to figure out if God is able to keep his promises. Why do we struggle so much with that? The simple fact is everybody in our life that we've loved, mom, dad, brother, sister, aunt, uncle, they've all done what? They've all broken promises. I've broken promises, you've broken promises. I mean, I've made some promises I couldn't even dare keep, but yet I still made them. And we think everybody who makes a promise is going to break that promise. But listen, God will never break the promise he made to you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He'll always be there. The promise that God gave Jacob was always, always there. And I want to read verses 6 through 15. I know it's a lot of reading, but you hang in there with me as we see this beautiful story of Jacob. Verse 6 starts out this, So Jacob came to Luz, that is Bethel, which is the land of Canaan, he and all the people who were with them. And he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel, because their God appeared to him where he fled from the face of his brother. Now Deborah, Rebekah's nurse, died, and she was buried below Bethel under the Terebinth tree, the, and so the name of it was called Elan Bakuth. Then God appeared to Jacob again when he, became, when he came to Badan Aram and blessed him. And God said to him, your name is Jacob, and your name shall not be called Jacob anymore, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. Also God said to him, I am God Almighty, Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed from you, and kings shall come from you, your body. The land which I gave you, gave Abraham and Isaac, I give to you. And to your descendants after you, I give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. So Jacob set a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him Bethel, the house of God. God always keeps His promises. The promises that God gave Jacob had never went anywhere. They were always right there. So many times, me and you forget that God's going to keep His promises. And when you forget that God's going to keep His promises, you're filled with anxiety and depression and struggle. we lose the joy of our salvation David in his prayer of repentance in Psalms 51 verse 12 says this, restore to me the joy of your your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit David had fallen into sin and lost the joy of the salvation that God had given him but he knew the only way that his joy would be able to be renewed is that the Lord gave it to him. If the Lord was the one who would renew that salvation. Jacob had come back to the place where he had met God. Remember that place? Remember it often. And you know what? He built an altar there and he called it Mighty God of the House of God. And God reminded Jacob of the promise that he had given him. But not only did God remind Jacob of the promise that he had given him, God reminded Jacob of his new name. Jacob, if you look back in Genesis, last five or six chapters, two or three different times, God tells Jacob that I've changed your name from Jacob to Israel. But why does God continue to keep on saying, I've changed your name from Jacob to Israel? You know why? Because Jacob's still thinking he's Jacob. And he's forgetting that he has a, a new name, and it's Israel. Well, what's wrong? Well, Jacob's identifying himself not as Israel, but as who? Jacob. When he meets Esau, he was given the new name of Jacob, a new name of Israel, but he says to his brother, it's me, Jacob. He doesn't tell him his new name is Israel. You know what happens. God needs to remind me and you that we and you have a new name in Christ Jesus. We have a new identity in Christ. We're not the same. Behold, all things are new and all things old have been what? They've passed away. They've gone on. God's given us a new name. We we have a new life in Christ Jesus today. And God reminded Jacob, his name is no longer the deceiving, tricky Jacob, but now it's Israel. And to God be the glory. But not only did God remind Jacob that his name had changed, God reminded Jacob that God's name has never changed. And his name is El Shaddai. El Shaddai, God Almighty. You know what Jacob had forgotten? What me and you forget, that mighty is the Lord God Almighty. Mighty is his name. That there is nobody stronger. That there is no one omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent other than our God today. He reminded him that I am, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Do you need to be reminded that God is able? The same God who created this universe is able to take care of your needs and your problems that you're struggling with right now. That same God who hung the moon is the one who can save you from your sins, who sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for us so that we would not perish but have everlasting life. That's who the Lord is. And God reminded Jacob that he was going to use him mightily. Jacob needed to be reminded of that. He said in verse 11, you know what? From you kings will be born but not just kings from you the king of kings and the Lord of Lord will be born you know what he was reminding Jacob that he was going to use him mightily that even though Jacob had struggled even though Jacob had been so through so much God was not done with him and he had changed his name and he was going to use him for his kingdom brother and sisters today God's not done with you If you still have breath, um, you're still breathing today, God still has a purpose for you, and he is going to do mighty works through you today. Do not buy the lie of the devil to say that, you know what, I've done too much, I've messed up, I've gone too far, I can never be used of God. You know what God does? He forgives, and he forgets, and he uses us for his glory throughout the whole world. He reminded Jacob that he was going to use him mightily. And he reminded Jacob of his mercy. Today, me and you need to be reminded of the mercy of the Lord. Jacob, so he would not forget, he built a, he set up a stone pillar. Why in the world did he set up a stone pillar? He needed a reminder because he realized he was a forgetful person. He needed a reminder that every time he looked at that pillar, that he would know that God is able to use him, that God is able to keep him, to protect him, and to provide for him. But not only did he know that he needed that reminder, but his kids and his grandkids were gonna need that reminder. So every time they saw that stone pillar, they can know this is what God did for our family. This is what God did in Papa's life, and Dad's life. This is what God is able to do. But not only that, but the world needed a reminder of what God was to do. And here we are preaching about that stone years later that God is able to take care of all of our needs that pillar of stone reminds us of the rock of our salvation. And Psalms 118 verse 22 says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And what he did is he built that stone up, he placed it up, and he took a pitcher of, of wine and he poured it over top that stone. And that pouring of wine reminds us of the blood that was shed for my sins and your sins. The Bible says in Luke chapter 22 and verse 20 this cup is a new covenant my blood which is shed which is shed for you and then he took olive oil and he anointed that that pillar with olive oil and that is a picture of the Holy Spirit that lives within every single believer and without that Feeling of the Holy Spirit, there is not one way that we could set ourselves aside for the glory of God. The anointing of that, that pillar reminds us of the anointing of God that we have on our lives so that we could do the work that He's called us to do. Jacob's pillar of stone reminds us that we've been saved by grace through faith by Jesus Christ our Lord. And baptism today is a pillar of stone for us baptism is one of the most misunderstood facts or actions that have ever existed because most people feel like it's just something you have to do but the picture of baptism is more beautiful than you could ever imagine it's not that just we're first Baptist church we always worry about baptisms but listen A baptism, your baptism is your pillar of stone. The moment that you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, it was an intimate moment between you and the Lord. Maybe there was a person or two people there with you holding your hand and praying with you when you accepted Christ as your personal Savior. Um, But the majority of people were not able to be a part of that experience with you as you, you accepted Christ as your personal savior. Many people have come up to me and say, guess what I did last night? I was like, man, what'd you do last night? Last night I, I realized I was a sinner. And I fell down on my knees and I, I cried out for Jesus to save me from my sins. And I'm like, man, that's awesome. I wish I'd have been there. And, and we pray with them and, 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 and show them the, the next step that we go but what happens is this. The first commandment you have been given after you have been saved is to be followed the Lord in water baptism. And what happens is this. Is that becomes your pillar of stone. That is what people, everybody else gets to see. Everybody else gets to be a part of. And it'll be the time that you'll always remember. I got baptized in the Leviza Fork of the Big Sandy River. And, and I, I lived right there on the Big Sandy. Um, I, I had riverfront property back in the day then where I didn't even know that was something nice. You know what I'm saying? You know what the nice thing about riverfront property living in Meads Branch is? Our rats are like that big. <laughs> They're called river rats. And them dash, them dumb suckers are huge. I don't know why they get bigger in the ra- 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 beside the river, but Lord knows they do. But my whole life they had dared me to get in that river. Don't you get in there, you'll drown. And we got in that river so many times, we always get in trouble for swimming in in the river. My mom's like, that's nasty, people go to the bathroom in there. (laughs) And she's like, you can't get in there, that's nasty. And I'm like, okay. But then I get saved and you know what I mean that they do? Get in the river. (laughs) Been telling me all my whole life I ain't allowed to get in the river, then they put me in the river. But that, that river for me at that place, that's my pillar of stone. I'll never forget that moment. My dad walked me out in the, in that river. They dug out a little, little cove um, and, um, in that nasty river. Um, it was nasty then. I can only imagine how nasty it is right now. But they pulled me out there, and, and my dad, and I had the privilege of baptizing my boys as well. My, my dad baptized me, and he took me, and he brought me— he, he brought me and put me under the water. And as he was placing me under the water, what that was showing me, my family, my friends, and I'm telling you about it right now, so you all. it was telling everybody that I had died with Jesus Christ. Then he placed me under that water, and there was nothing of me in, uh, above the water. I I remember one time I baptized somebody and they grabbed hold of the glass. (laughs) And I had an elderly person come up to me afterward and said, do you realize that person's hand is not going to make it to heaven? And I said, that will be the funniest thing in the world. If I get to heaven and that dude don't have a hand, I'm like, ooh. I was told that was going to happen. You know what I'm saying? But... I, when you're completely under the water, what does, that, what does that say? That total immersion is showing that you have died with Christ and been buried with him. But then when he, my dad brought me back up out of that water, it shows that I have been brought back to life a new creature. And listen, baptism in a foreign language, in, the, in the Latin, in Spanish, Romanian, French, it means new name. what happens when you're baptized is you've been given a new name don't go by that old name anymore but you've been given a new life in Christ and that's your pillar of stone that every time you look and remember that moment that's the moment Jesus saved me and when you're feeling bad when you're feeling down and out and the devil's telling you you don't deserve heaven you go back and say look at that pillar of stone right there Look look there what happened when Jesus saved me. You know, baptism is not salvistic. It don't save you. I have a lady right now that she's dying on her deathbed. She just gave her life to Christ. And there's no possible way that we're going to be able to baptize her in the next few hours, few days. You know what? I'm not worried about that at all. Because what happened is that she's been saved gloriously from the Lord. I wish she would have got saved years before and she does too but you know here their last minute she's given her life to Christ if she gets better we'll dunk her you know what I'm saying but if not it don't matter But only thing that baptism does is, is what we need is that pillar of stone to go back to and I'm gonna ask you that if you don't have that pillar if you're not believed upon Lord Jesus Christ today today is the day of salvation if you've been saved and you don't have that pillar You know what? Pray about that and say, you know, Lord, do I need that pillar to remind me of your goodness? Do I need that pillar to remind my family of that goodness? Do I need that pillar to remind this world of your goodness? May we put our trust in the Lord today. Well, God, we love you and we thank you and we praise you for who you are.